Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I'm your host, Ryan Fowler, and what a doozy do we have this week on tap in Week 10. Washington Commanders at 4-5, and five, traveling out to Seattle. First time Washington's traveling out to Seattle since 2017 to face the 5-3 and three NFC West's Geno Smith-led Seattle Seahawks. A game we're going to get into everything today. Offense defense, special teams, where Washington needs to out-execute the Seahawks so they can escape Seattle with a win, a team that is 3-1 at home, they're 2-2 in the last month of football games, coming off of a game where they had to travel last week across the country to face the Baltimore Ravens, and they got their backsides beat up 37-3 against the Baltimore Ravens. Again, guys, last week on the road. they This is a football team right now that wants to come in and play with some fight. Right, You're coming off of a loss like that to where you're considered really the second best team in the NFC West right now behind the San Francisco 49ers. And they're going to want to show up. They want to get to 6-3. and three. They do not want to get to 5-4 and four with matchups against the Rams and the 49ers in their next two weeks. And from Washington's perspective... And where our focus is, is getting the burgundy and gold back to 500. To 5-5 five and five for the second straight win and to a second straight win on the road before coming home next week to face the New York Giants. That if you missed the news, they're going to be without quarterback Daniel Jones for the rest of 2023. It is going to be Tommy DeVito running the show in New York when they roll in, most likely to Washington next week. But this week is massive for Washington's immediate and long-term future in this season. Cannot get to 4-6 and with the Giants coming up. And then Dallas on Thanksgiving. And then the Miami Dolphins right after that. You've got to get to 500 this week by any means possible. For the Seahawks, 5-4 5-4 and four if they lose this game is not the end of the world. They put themselves in a decent position. But for Washington, their early, ugly losses against the Bears and the Giants have placed them in this spot to where they're now chasing it a little bit to try to stay in contention with a wild card spot. But if you're at 500, and you're a little bit above 500, you are going to be in a spot to compete for a playoff spot come the turn of the new year. And that's where Washington finds himself now. And the biggest thing heading into this week is the continued improvement of Sam Howell, who has looked damn good, especially over the last two weeks of the season, within the architecture of Eric Bieniemy's offense, getting out to the skill players. It looks like we're going to get Curtis Samuel back this week. He practiced on Thursday, so would like to get him back healthy after missing him in last week's game in New England. So a full barrage of athletes on the outside for Sam to attack against a talented Seahawks secondary, which we will get into in just a little bit. 
So let's peel back the layers of this Seahawks roster again. This is the first time Washington has headed out to Seattle, a long cross-country road trip since 2017, a game that they won 17-14. Seattle then took trips to Washington in the COVID year and the following year in 2021. They won the game in 2020, 20 to 15. And then in 2021, in November, they Washington won 17-15. So the last three games have all been within five points. Three-point win for Washington in 2017, a five-point loss the next year, and a two-point win in 2021, the last time these two teams saw each other. So tight ball games is what we've come to know, and history has proven against the Seattle Seahawks. Now, Russell Wilson was running the show for the Seahawks offense for the last decade or so. He is now in Denver. It is Geno Smith. A Geno Smith that bounced around the league. Giants, Jets, now is in Seattle. He's been a lot of places, guys. And now he's getting his opportunity to start. He was excellent last year. Questions remained in the offseason. Did Seattle want to continue with him? Did they want to try to see what they had with Drew Locke as his backup? Do they want to make an addition in the draft? Even doesn't have to be on day one. Was it day two or day three? They didn't. Geno is their guy. And that's where we're going to start today as we start every week in our game previews with the quarterback position. Because he is somebody that's a veteran in this league. He's 33 years old now. He's seen it all. He's had his ups. He's had his downs. And he's had his really, really downs. You look at him the last couple of weeks, our most recent performances, his last five weeks, week six against Cincinnati, two interceptions, Arizona, one pick, two picks against Cleveland, and a pick last week against Baltimore. He has a pick in each of his last four games. He's thrown four touchdowns in that same time span. However, he has been turnover prone. Those are the biggest things that hampered him in the early portions of his career when he was initially drafted in the second round out of West Virginia all the way back in 2013. You guys probably remember him at West Virginia. Electric talent. Bigger guy, about 6'3", over 215, 20 pounds. Can move outside the pocket, can create with his legs. Doesn't have a dynamic arm. Doesn't have insane accuracy or ball placement. Keyhole, pinhole accuracy to place it to a lot of depths. He trusts his guys on the outside to run under the ball and make plays for him in certain situations. He's got a heck of a group of wideouts we're going to get to in just a minute. But from Geno's perspective, they want to force him into play action, and that's where he is best. They want to run the football with guys like Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, guy they drafted this year out of UCLA to back up Walker, guy they drafted out of Michigan State a couple years ago. Who is their bell cow? They want to get into where they want to bring guys extra in the box. They want to bring your safeties down a couple of yards, and they want to force you to play just a little bit closer to guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the outside and then hit you over the top or hit you in those intermediate areas on play action and then Tyler Lockett's out the backside because he can run and DK Metcalf can run. And oh, by the way, they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba, arguably, in my opinion, the best pure route runner in the 2023 draft class who plays inside and out for them on the perimeter. But he is their wide receiver three behind Lockett and Metcalf. Now, we'll get into how Washington, I think, should counter them in just a little bit. But Gino wants to live 
in play action. Again, just allow those backers just to scoot up two or three yards and bite for just a half second or second. And then, oh crap, they're out the backside. I got to flip. I got to find a crosser. And then it's over my head. Or I look back up and Geno Smith is out the backside for 20 yards on the ground. Now, he wants to make his money inside the pocket. He can move, but this is not 27-year-old Geno Smith. This is not 25-year-old Geno Smith. He wants to live inside the tackles. At running back, where it's going to start for them, Kenneth Walker Jr. and Zach Charbonnet. That is their one and two combo. Guys that currently lead them in attempts. Kenneth has 126 rushing attempts and Zach's got 32. Kenneth Walker has six touchdowns on the year. Guys, he's reached the end zone six times. However, the last two weeks against Cleveland and Baltimore hasn't happened for him up front. Why? Because you look at who they faced. Cleveland, good defense. Baltimore, probably the best defense in football right now. Washington's interior, Deron Payne, John Allen, Jamin Davis, Khalid Hudson, Cam Curl coming downhill, Casey Tuhill, James Smith-Williams. We're going to see the young guys that get on the edge in Andre Jones and KJ Henry. And specifically the guys on the edge this week, where Benjamin St. Just, Kendall Fuller, Emmanuel Forbes. Look, DK Metcalf is a big body, but he's not going to overwhelm you as a blocker. Tyler Lockett? Smaller guy, he'll stick his face in, but he should not dominate you on the edges. Gotta contain Kenneth Walker this week inside the edges because this offensive line has been shaky for the Seattle group. The interior, which we'll get to in a sec, has been good for them. But the edges is where they want to make their living. Kenneth Walker has excellent vision, really strong lower half, excellent contact balance, arm tackles are not going to work this week. They rarely work on anybody in the NFL, but you got to rally to the football. And again, you got to set the edges, mainly with Two Hill and Smith Williams on the outside. They got to contain him inside the hashes as much as they can and just allow the linebackers to flow downhill. Again, Kenneth Walker has not done well these last two weeks because everything correlates from a rushing perspective with the offensive line and who you got up front pushing for you. But when he is clicking, week three against Carolina, 97 yards, two touchdowns. Week seven against Arizona, 105 yards on the ground, 26 carries. They want to feed him the football. That is where their offense stems from, is Kenneth Walker III. And then, as I mentioned, pop and play action. Over the middle of the field to tight end Noah Fant, or to the outside of the receivers, we're going to get to in just a second. Zach Charbonnet, he'll get some carries, maybe five to ten. If Kenneth Walker is banged up a little bit, he's been battling a chest injury this week, we'll see more of him. Big ball carrier out of UCLA. A guy that I talked about in the pre-draft process as far as as if Washington potentially wanted to add a guy. Everything I heard out of Washington in the process was they were going to focus on a guy late on day three or UDFA. They did. They took Chris Rodriguez late on day three out of Kentucky, who's had some flashes this year. I like the way the young kids run out of Kentucky. But Zach Charbonnet was a day two pick for a reason. A lot of success out of UCLA as a transfer from Michigan. Runs low, runs violent behind his pads. 
Not a super quick guy, doesn't have that long speed, doesn't have excellent agility within the tackles or to hit a cutback lane for 30 yards. But he can run over you. He can run around you. And he's also got some decent hands in the passing game and he's willing to stay in and pass pro. So they got two young backs. Again, they took Kenneth in 2022 in the second round. And then they come back the next year and take Charbonnet on day two as well out of Michigan. So that is their ball carriers. Two second round picks that can really do it all. It's almost like a, I don't want to say it's an RB1, RB2. It's really an RB1 and RB1A, even though Kenneth Walker, when he's going, guys, he's going. And he looks like one of the best young backs in football when he's really churning. Really good lower center of gravity, really good footwork in between the tackles, excellent vision, good hands. He's got that extra gear to kick up to it, five yards beyond the line of scrimmage and outrun an angle of a linebacker or a safety. Really good young player. So again, stopping the run this week. If Washington can stop the run and not allow Seattle to bait them into play action and force Geno into shotgun, force him into empty to where you're asking him to come to the line of scrimmage, scan the defense, find where the safeties are, then look to the front. Are they blitzing? Are these guys stunting up front? Where's Deron Payne? Where's John Allen? Where's, again, where's Cam Curl at? What are the outside doing? How far is Emmanuel Forbes off of his guy? Is he playing man? Is he playing zone? What are they potentially rotating to? Get his mind churning to where, uh-oh, I got two seconds left on the play clock. Now I need to snap it. We can't run a hard count to where the snap is on two or three, and we're getting the ball off on turbo, and these guys are coming just downhill with Deron and John blowing through the A and B gaps. That's what you'd like from Washington this week. That's where they're going to make their money and keep Seattle's offense off the field because when they're churning, they are churning with guys on the outside and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. They're top leaders in targets. Lockett, Metcalf, and Jigba. Lockett's got 54, Metcalf's got 47, and JSN has 41. That is where that they want to make their money. Again, play action and target these guys. DK Metcalf is always the focal point of this Seattle offense, even though Tyler Lockett has been more consistent. You look at Tyler's last few weeks, five targets against Arizona in week seven, nine against Cleveland, and six against Baltimore. DK was added to the injury report on Thursday, so remains to be seen if he's going to play this week. He was out yesterday with a hip injury. Never know, right, with a hip. It could be something that just popped up after a training session or practice or something he was doing, lifting weights, and he just popped up. Who knows? But after practicing all week, he was added on Thursday and didn't practice. So we'll see. Even if he's limited, even if he plays a half of his snaps, he can make an impact that can change the impact of this overall football game. And when I look on the outside this week, I like the matchup against Benjamin St. Just, but I also know about Emmanuel Forbes. And I know that matchup may scare some of you guys because what we've seen from Emmanuel against guys like A.J. Brown and guys like D.J. Moore, premier wide receivers in this league. D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are already premier receivers in football. Smith and Jigba's a rookie, but he's well on his way as he continues to get fed more volume in this Seahawks offense. Excuse me. And there's not a single guy in football that looks more like A.J. Brown than D.K. Metcalf. You could say A.J. Brown looks like D.K. 
Former second round pick out of Ole Miss all the way back in 2019. It's crazy to think that it's been that long. 6'3", 230 pounds. That can absolutely fly. That is the test for Washington secondary this week. Understanding where he is and understanding how to cover him and what you want to do. Placing any of Washington's corners on an island in press man with no help over the top this week is going to be tough. Now, DK is big as hell. Strong as hell. Not the best route runner and does not have the best hands. Hands have been consistent in 2023, but in my opinion, does not have the best hands, especially when asked to play inside a phone booth and play with guys on his hip, in his hip pocket. Again, at 6'3", 230, he said six contested catch situations this year, meaning he's playing inside that phone booth. He's got congestion. There's a guy on his hip and he's fighting through somebody on the outside, whether it's a 40-yard hole shot or it's a little quick little seven-yard curl route. Contested catches. Of his six chances this year, he's caught one of them. So one of six balls he's caught in contested catch situations this year, guys. That tells me he's not comfortable playing with a guy in his hip pocket. Now, pressing a guy like this is an interesting choice, considering he can just blow you off the line of scrimmage with his physicality or with his burst as a linear athlete. But forcing him to stay in those intermediate areas on crossers, make sure you're communicating in zone, and on curls to where you can click and move downhill and get your hands in the way. I look at Benjamin St. Just and Emmanuel Forbes, two guys that are in the top five in football in PBUs through nine weeks, guys. Nine weeks. Forbes and St. Just, top five in football among all corners and pass breakups. I like that. That's some ball production. Now, they're getting targeted a ton. They're also top five in yards allowed in coverage. We know those issues. But when you look at DK's lack of ability to create with guys in his face, Geno's turnover-worthy place the last month of the season, and the instincts on the outside that Washington added this offseason, and specifically a guy like Emmanuel Forbes, and we saw Quan Martin get his first pick at a huge time last week, to seal the game in the fourth quarter against New England, Washington's going to have a chance to make some plays on the football this week. If they're able to turn the ground game, I don't expect Walker or Charbonnet to put the ball on the ground. But if you force Geno to beat you with his arm, the names on the outside are extremely sexy, guys. Headlined by DK. It's going to be a test for this secondary unit this week. But forcing him to throw... 25, 30 plus times in this football game, not allowing them to run it 30 plus times. Washington can win this football game. Absolutely. Tyler Lockett is more of that linear athlete for them. Deep threat, really good hands, and just does it all. Designated touches at the line of scrimmage, five yard slants, timing routes at the goal line. It's just a really good ball player. I personally like Tyler Lockett more than I do DK Metcalf. Been in the league for a long time, about 5'10, 185. Former day two pick all the way back in 2015. Almost been 10 years in the league already. He's already 31 years old, but he just shows up, guys, every single week. He's got a thousand yards. 
in each of the last five seasons, so 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 1,000 yards in each of those years, all over. He's gotten in the end zone nine times in 22, eight in 2021, 10 in 2020. He's just as consistent as anybody in the NFL. And now Seattle's not the biggest market in the world. They've had some success. You think about the Legion of Boom days when Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Bobby White, all those guys are in the back end just lighting dudes up. Tyler Lockett was there. And he's still one of their most dominant players 10 years later. Flat out ball player. And he's going to be a major test for this defense this week. I think Lockett's going to be more of a test than what Metcalf is going to offer. And with Njigba, now, as I mentioned, he's wide receiver three for this offense, young kid out of Ohio State, but has all the tools to be a dynamic wide receiver one in football. Was my top receiver in last year's class. The reason why, he was the 20th overall pick. Now, we saw guys like Quentin Johnson go to the Chargers from TCU. We saw Jordan Addison, the success he's had with the Minnesota Vikings. The only thing we haven't seen from JSN this year is his yak ability. Yards after catch. Yak. So, at Ohio State, he would run quick little slants, five yards, catch it, and take it 70 yards to the house. Nick Tugat, three guys miss, showcases just his short area quickness, and just take it to the house. You guys wonder why they run the three-cone drill at the combine? Short area quickness? It's for guys like this. Making guys miss inside of a phone booth. Not just one guy, maybe two or three guys. Change of direction, agility, ankle flexion is what you'll hear. That's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Have not seen it this year. But he has it in the tank. And as he gets more comfortable and, again, more volume in this offense, he's going to continue to improve. So that is Seattle's main three receivers. Rotationally, we're going to see some Jake Bobo. One of the best names in football. UDFA out of UCLA was an extremely interesting eval out of UCLA this year. He could not block to save his life. So at 6'5", you didn't know what to do with him as far as putting him inside because he played outside at UCLA. And as a perimeter receiver, he didn't have the separation or quickness really to continue to separate over targets on the on, on corners on the outside. But he's been a guy that's earned some snaps for them so far in this season. Again, rotational piece, but wide receiver four, wide receiver five. But he's gotten in the end zone twice. And he gets about maybe a target two or three a game. He's got at least double two targets in three of the last four weeks. Did not have one against Baltimore. But he had two against Cleveland. He had five against Arizona and two against Cincinnati. He reached the end zone in that Arizona game where he caught four balls for 61 yards and a touchdown. So rotationally, a big body at 6'5", 205, that's someone to counter. They got some big boys in the perimeter. But again, he was really weird in evals. The best way to put it, just a weird player. Again, you see, sometimes see some bigger receivers in college and they want to potentially move them to the inside to play some inline tight end or play some flex, but he couldn't block. And there was limitations as an athlete, but he's found a spot, went undrafted, and now this is a position where he's getting a target or two a game in a very deep wide receiver's room. And that is really the extent of Seattle's wide receivers. At tight end, 
We're going to see Noah Fant. And Will Disley's still in town. But Noah Fant as a whole has not lived up to expectations since bringing him over from the Denver Broncos in that Russell Wilson trade. Okay, first round pick out of Iowa years ago. Really tight end you if you think about it. Fant, Hawkinson, Sam Laporta, George Kittle. I mean, the names go on and on at Iowa. But he's just not been featured at all in 2023. Got 14 catches on 17 targets. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six targets. Six targets the last month of the season. They wanted him to be a featured flex weapon for this Seattle offense. He has not been that. Dynamic athlete, can stay in line, can be that flex piece. But there's only one ball to go around, right? And you got Metcalf, Lockett, and Njigba. You just added in the first round who you want to feed the football. And then you got Kenneth Walker in the backfield. There's only one ball to go around. So really, Noah Fant has been non-existent in this offense. However, Washington's linebackers don't move the needle for anybody. Cam Curl, we like some Cam Curl. I love me some number 31 in the box as a cover guy. Percy Butler's played a lot of snaps these last couple weeks. Played 100% of the snaps against New England. He's going to have to cover this week. And we've seen tight ends in the past eat Washington alive in that intermediate area of the offense, and especially inside the red zone. So it may not look like he's been good these last few weeks, but all it takes is a catch or two in the end zone or on a third and five in a crucial high leverage down to where, oh, there's Noah Fant. So again, has not been featured heavily in this offense right now, but he could. And in my opinion, if I'm Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll, he should be featured this week because the talent on the outside for Washington trumps that to what they have at the linebacking position and what we've seen over the last few years for the commanders. So that is the headlining tight end for them. Now let's get into the big, fat uglies along their offensive line. Offensive line that they've made a ton of additions along these, uh, these last few years. Drafted Charles Cross out of Mississippi State in the first round. They drafted Abe Lucas out of Washington State. But overall, they've just been average, really, especially at the tackle spots. When I look at Charles Cross specifically at left tackle, again, top 10 pick in last year's draft, Mississippi State, one of the most athletic tackles to enter the league in some time, really the last handful of years. 6'5", 3'10", just moves like a damn tight end, guys. Really, really athletic. Missed weeks two through five, and then it's come back these last couple weeks and not been good. He's allowed three sacks the last two weeks. He's allowed 10 pressures the last two weeks. So two Hill, Smith-Williams, Henry, and Andre Jones, F.A. Obata. Last week was not great against a mishmash New England front five where there were no sacks. Even though the K.J. Henry sack was called a roughing the passer, one of the worst roughing the passers I've ever seen, one of the softest calls I've ever seen. This week, they're going to have some chances to the inside and the outside shoulder of Charles Cross because he has not been good. Now, Washington does not have a Miles Garrett like the Browns do, and they do not have the rotation of pieces at a high level that Baltimore has at, at, at edge. They just don't have it. 
And where Seattle's been best is within the interior. So most likely this week at left tackle to right tackle, you're going to see Cross, Damian Lewis at left guard, Evan Brown at center. Phil Haynes is most likely going to take over for Anthony Bradford, a kid they took out of LSU on day three this year. He hasn't been good this year. And now Phil Haynes has been up and down. He's a decent player. But again, a backup interior offensive lineman against Payne and Allen. I'll take that every single day of the week. And then Stone Forsyth, the kid they took back in 2021 out of Florida, is most likely going to align at right tackle. But their best lineman so far has been left guard Damian Lewis. I mean, just been really fantastic. Drafted back in the COVID year, another guy out of LSU. So when Anthony Bradford was in the game, both of their guards were former picks and talents out of LSU. Again, Damian Lewis, 2020 third round, and then Anthony Bradford uh, out of LSU in this year's draft. But you look at Damian's numbers, he's allowed just one sack since week one. So he allowed one in week one, one ever since. He's allowed just four pressures. He's allowed four pressures the last two weeks, six the last three. So two pressures each of the last three weeks, guys. But that's just going to happen at the NFL level. Unless you're a dominant force within the interior to where you just cannot be moved in pass pro. You got really good hands. You got a really good anchor. You can move side to side. You're just very technically sound and you're strong as an ox. You're going to allow a pressure or two a week. But Damian Lewis, I mean, really, you can't say much more as far as how darn good he's been. And he will align at left guard for them this week. At center is Evan Brown. He's been in Seattle. This is his first year in Seattle after coming over from Detroit. He spent time with Miami. He spent time with the Giants. So this is already in year five of his career. He's This is his one, two, three, fourth team. But he's been damn good for the Seattle offense. And every offense along this front, the front five starts with the center. The ability to communicate to his left and communicate to his right and allow Geno to keep his eyes up. Hasn't allowed a sack all year, and his pressures are relatively low. His worst game came against Baltimore, where he allowed four pressures, but overall the entire year, he didn't allow more than two in one game. So he's really good within the interior. But I just mentioned Washington doesn't have a Miles Garrett like Cleveland had, but Cleveland doesn't have a Deron Payne or John Allen. So something's got to get, right? It's always that, that common saying of when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, who's going to win? something's got to give. And hopefully, it's on the burgundy and gold side of things. Again, I mentioned Phil Haynes at right guard. He's going to start over Anthony Bradford. And that right tackle uh, is most likely going to be Stone Forsyth. And this is the spot to where I think Washington should create some pressure because Forsyth is one of the most massive dudes you're going to see in the NFL height-wise, not weight-wise. He's not 340, 345 or anything like that that we've seen from a guy like Jordan Mailata, who's like 6'8", 350 for Philly, and can move unlike anything in football. Or Dewan Jones, who Cleveland drafted on day three this year to play right tackle, who's been damn good. Stone Forsyth is 6'9", 312. He's lost a lot of weight. He was really sloppy in his lower half. Think of his body almost as a bag of milk when he's coming out of Florida, just really moshy and sloshing around. That was Stone Forsyth coming out of Florida back in 2021. Again, day three pick in the sixth round. This is where Washington should create some pressure because he's strong in a short area. You ask him to kick set just a step back because he covers so much ground. You ask him to do anything more. You ask him to then work back up or continue to slide out and counter that outside shoulder. I don't see that 
consistently right now from Stone in his game. Still developing, but he's allowed five pressures against Baltimore, one against Cleveland, two against Arizona, and just consistently up and down to where he can come out and and not allow a single pressure in a game and then allow nine the next game or seven the next game and then have a good game and then be back down to crap again. They need to attack the right tackle spot this week. Again, the interior is pretty strong for Seattle, even though they're going to have a replacement at right guard. But at right tackle, sending extra pressure, potentially sliding in that corner, lining him up at nickel, make it look like he's in man, and then sending him off the edge and making them communicate to, uh, to attack Geno Smith's arm side. That's where I think Washington is going to have some success this week. Again, attacking the right side of this line of scrimmage, specifically Stone Forsyth, if he does get the start at right tackle, because they've also seen some Jake Curran get some starts there as well, even though it's been back and forth the last few weeks. So that is the Seattle Seahawks offense. Again, Geno Smith, play action, trying to stem it with Kenneth Walker, and then feeding guys like Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Jackson Smith and Jigba within the 10 to 15 area of the offense, forcing Geno to beat Washington this week with his arm, just pure dropbacks, not in play action, really think that Washington can have some success this week. And of course, it stop, starts excuse me, with stopping the run with 93 and 94 in the middle and more improved play from guys like Jamin Davis at the second level because I thought he was rough encountering guys like Ramondre Stevenson last week in New England. So now, let's talk defense. And with defense, we can also talk about Washington's offense, which has been a major sign of positivity with number 14 under center and the skilled players on the outside. Brian Robinson has been up and down the last few games. We saw Antonio Gibson getting going a little bit against New England. Logan Thomas continues to show up at tight end. John Bates is still primarily that Y tight end for this offense as a blocker. And the offensive line has been pretty damn good for this front five after adding Tyler Larson in at center and benching Nick Gates and adding in Chris Paul with, of course, Sadiq Charles at left guard on uh, short-term IR. But on defense for this unit, we're going to start with the edge guys. And they got some players at edge, specifically uh, with Boye Mafe, guy they took out of Minnesota back in 2022. He's an extremely young player, but a grown-ass man uh, on the edge. 6'4", 260. He leads them in, in pressures with 25. He's got multiple in each of the last five games. He's got a sack in each of his last five games. So Charles Leno, Andrew Wiley, he bounces around. He's going to be a a piece to counter this week. Again, sacks in five straight games for Boye Mafe. Get 260 off the edge. Really good in setting the edge in the run game. Can win inside, win outside. And then if he just wants to put put his arms through your chest plate, he can bull rush you back into the lap of Sam Howell too. So that is their main Pro, that primary sack artist along this defensive front. They drafted Derek Hall this year out of Auburn on day two, a kid that we saw at the Senior Bowl. But he just has not been somebody that has earned a lot of snaps just yet. And it takes time. It takes patience. It takes player development and coaching to work guys up to what you expect them to be. Because Derek Hall, when you look at Derek Hall, he's a first off of the bus type of guy. Meaning, you're the opposing team. Think about back to high school. The buses are pulling up. And the opposing team's walking off the bus. Who's their first guy off the bus? 
Is it the 5'5", five 110-pound five, kicker? Because that ain't scaring nobody. Or is it the 6'4", 260-pound defensive end going to Auburn? That's Derek Hall. He looks the part. He shows up at the Senior Bowl with his shoulder pads halfway on. He's got the crop top. He just looks like a dude. And one of the nicest dudes as well in this 2023 rookie class. But he just, the success and the snaps have not been there a bunch for him this far in the season. However, he does play on special teams and he does get some rotational snaps at defensive end as well. Another guy to know along this defensive front as a starter, been in the league a long time, Jaron Reed. Remember when we were talking about him years ago coming out of Alabama before John Allen was taken in 2017 and then Deron Payne the year following? He's just been really consistent along the interior. Um, Was in Seattle for the first, what, five, six years of his career, spent a year in Kansas City, then he spent a year in Green Bay last year. Now he's back in Seattle, so obviously familiar territory for him, and he's been pretty darn good. He's got four sacks, so pushing the interior a little bit and consistent pressures. He didn't have one last week against Baltimore, and that interior three, that's pretty darn good for Baltimore as much as they want to run the ball, but he's had multiple pressures in each of his first eight games. So again, the guys in the interior, Tyler Larson, we talk about him and how strong he is. That's how Jaron Reed wants to win. He wants to win with strength and bull rush people. Not saying that's all he wins with. He's got some finesse and got some good hands to work and rip past guys. But Tyler Larson's strong. Get that ball out. And Washington lives basically in shotgun. Get the ball out and get his hands established early. I think he'll be okay against Jaron Reed, but he'd probably give up maybe a pressure or two this week. You just can't allow him to get allow four, five, six pressures that results in maybe a sack or two. And then you guys know when when guys are around Sam Howell's feet and things start to happen, you never know what can happen. The ball can squirt loose and then it's just off to the races. You never know what can happen. So the interior, Paul, Larson, and Cosme this week countering guys like Jaron Reed and like uh, Draymond Jones, who's going to slide into play some, he'll play some five, he'll play some three, he'll play some four I, he'll play some one. A lot of things for them up front, but another face along this Seattle front, again, they have a lot of talent on defense, is our old friend Leonard Williams. The name sounds familiar. They added him at the trade deadline from the New York Giants. He didn't do anything last week in his first game as a Seattle Seahawk, but he's going to play. And as we've seen in his years in New York, he's going to play one tech, he's going to play three tech, and he's going to allow Jaron Reed to not consistently be double teamed. You can't double both guys, just like with Washington. You can't double both John Allen and Deron Payne. So they're going to have to keep another tight end in. They're going to have to keep a running back in and pass pro. That limits their options. So for Washington this week, every week there's guys to counter. Washington countered a veteran New England front five last week pretty darn well. Now with guys like Williams and Reed pushing really from the interior, it's going to be a test this week. Again, for a front five, really interior three for Washington, it's been good. And hopefully their chemistry continues to improve as we move from week to week. So that is their interior. Some rotational guys you'll see. I don't think Mario Edwards is going to play this week. He's been on the injury report all week long. They drafted Cameron Young out of Mississippi State on day three. He gets some rotational reps as well. Now let's step back to the linebackers um, where they got some players. I really like this linebacking core because of where the most successful defenses start in all of football. And it's at the core. 
your nucleus, your lungs, your guts, linebacker. Bobby Wagner, yes, that Bobby Wagner, even though he went to the Rams, now he's back in Seattle, still chugging along. One of the best linebackers to ever suit up, in my opinion, and probably a lot of other opinions. He's just a flat-out stud. Not the most dynamic cover guy in the world, but just a flat-out stud as a linebacker. I, I, there's really nothing else to say. Smart. You can't get anything past him. He's always filling alleys correctly. TFLs. Doesn't miss tackles. He can pressure you. He had two sacks in one game earlier this year. So they do send him. He's extremely nuanced as a blitzer. He's not going to try to win the outside shoulder and win with athleticism. That's not how his game is nowadays. At what, 33? Yes, 33 years old for Bobby Wagner. So this is, he's the core, guys. It starts with Bobby Wagner. But he's also got a nice little running piece beside him in Jordan Brooks, a guy at Texas Tech that I liked coming out of school back in the COVID year. I thought Washington potentially was going to add, but he is more of that feeding off of Wagner to where Wagner is a little bit of that throwback linebacker, live within the hashes, attack downhill and blow your chin strap off. Jordan Brooks likes to roam around. He likes to really, really engage downhill and blow up guys behind the line of scrimmage and cover running backs and tight ends. Really that athletic piece in the middle of their defense. So it's Wagner and it's Brooks at the middle of this defense. Rotationally, you're not going to see a lot of Nick Ballore or John Radigan. You're just not. It's going to be living in those two linebacker sets with Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks and some Darrell Taylor who plays that right outside linebacker spot. They'll play down at the eggs a little bit and play those fringe areas. But really, it's Brooks uh, and Bobby Wagner. So that is their linebacking core. Now we'll step back to the secondary to where this is, in my opinion, guys, I think this is going to be one of the most fun positional matchups of the entire NFL slate um, this weekend because you got Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, who's been excellent the last couple weeks, Curtis Samuel, most likely healthy, against Devin Witherspoon, who is a top five pick in this year's draft, who's been sensational for the Seahawks defense. Tariq Woolen, who starts on the outside. Witherspoon will play some out. He'll most likely live at nickel, though. So he'll see a lot of Curtis Samuel. Washington wants to reduce any of Terry or Jahan inside. They'll see Witherspoon lined up there. But Tariq Woolen, day three pick back in 2022. If you guys were with me, when I did my final mock draft back in 2022, you can even go back to it after this episode and listen to my final mock draft and who I picked for Washington in the second round of the 2022 draft. It was Tariq Woolen out of UTSA, one of the most athletically gifted corners, defenders, athletes as a whole in the NFL. There's just guys like him do not grow on trees. 6'4", 2.05", 4'3", speed, long arms, ball skills as a former wide receiver that made the conversion over to the defensive side of the ball at UTSA. Fantastic rookie year where he almost won NFL Rookie Defensive Player of the Year if it wasn't for Sauce Gardner and his ability to play in, in New York and now one of the premier corners in all of football. Tariq Woolen had six picks last year, 10 PBUs. He's got one this year and three PBUs. Not to say he hasn't been bad. He's allowed 23 catches on 34 targets, and the most yards anybody has gained on him in one game this year has been 62 back in week four against the New York Giants when they played at MetLife, again, in week four. But he is in 
You're going to see Tariq Woolen this week, and you're just going to say, that's an, that, that just looks like an NFL stud. The, he just, just Guys like him do not grow on trees. The athletic ability is almost Herculean. I remember the conversations had with Senior Bowl scouts before the Senior Bowl saying, get your eyes on Tariq Woolen because there's been no media coverage. There's been nothing about this kid out of UTSA. He goes to the Senior Bowl and dominates and somehow slips to the fifth round. Somehow. It's really the NFL just getting cute on players. Whether his profile was incomplete, whether some teams just said, nah, I don't, I don't trust the physical tools. There's a big difference between being an athlete and a football player. He's still learning the position. It's been sensational. And now with Witherspoon as a top five pick alongside him, you just got two alphas on the perimeter that can shut down any man in man-to-man. And then they also have Trey Brown, a kid they took on day three in 2021 out of Oklahoma. Pretty darn good player as well. And even though he's of the smaller version in comparison to Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen, he could flat out play. Flat out play. He's had some instances this year where he's been sensational. Think back to the the Detroit game, excuse me. His games against Cincinnati, countering Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And then last week against Baltimore, he's a really good cover man at about 5'10", 180. Really good short area quickness. Really good technique, great eyes, really good in the fringe areas of the, with the run game. He's allowed 12 catches on 21 targets this year for 192 yards. The most anybody has recorded on him as the primary man in coverage was week one against LA. So they got players. It's not going to be easy for Sam Howell just to approach the line of scrimmage and say, yeah, I'm targeting that guy. I'm targeting him here. This is where my progression's taking me. He's going to have to be creative at times this week. Potentially more legs, right, from Sam. Moving the launch point a little bit like we saw the last couple weeks against Philadelphia and New England. This is a very, very, very talented secondary. That also has good ball production. I mentioned the six picks for Tariq Woolen in his rookie year. He took back a couple as well. And when he gets the ball in his hands, he turns into a receiver. Elongates that stride and takes it the distance. Sounds a lot like my descriptions of Emmanuel Forbes, right? The instincts, the speed, the length. Now, Emmanuel's not 6'4", 200 pounds. Different. But the instincts, and if he gets the ball in his hands, it's going to be hard to take him down. So Sam is going to have a test this week. The receivers on the outside, we got some good route runners in Washington. You guys know that headline by Terry and Jahan. They can separate against anybody in football. And what I've seen from Sam these last few weeks, his ball placement, his confidence, that back foot hits, that ball is out. He's not waiting three seconds to get the ball out. Second and a half, two seconds at most. Not asking him to read multiple progressions, three, four reads. If he has the time to, great. But that time, usually you just don't get it at the NFL level. So getting the ball out quick, allowing the athletes to be athletes this week, it's going to be tough. Hell of a matchup. It's a good football team. Not every team is the struggles we saw from New England last week with the the lack of execution. Or what we thought we were going to expect, how Washington run over teams like Chicago or the Giants. But this Seattle team can play. And where my focus is, and how Washington can take advantage of this defense, is Brian Robinson, 
and it's with Logan Thomas. Forcing Wagner and Brooks to cover. Now, their safeties are veterans in Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. And Julian Love, they brought over from the Giants, who's a hell of a football player. Doesn't get any attention. Really good football player. This does everything well at every depth. And we'll also play some special teams for you if you have to. But again, Jamal Adams, one of the most talented safeties in football that loves to live in the box. And Quandre Diggs, it's been around a long time. So they got veterans at the roof with Diggs, Adams, and Love. And they got two young studs in the perimeter in Woolen and Witherspoon. And Trey Brown can also play his ass off as well. Rotationally, Michael Jackson, not the singer, the football player. He's a rotational corner for the Seahawks roster. And Artie Burns, guy they brought over from Chicago, uh, he plays some rotational nickel corner as well. Uh, but he has a chance to be inactive, and he's also a guy that plays on special teams as well. That is the Seahawks defense, guys. Um, I can't say it enough that this secondary is talented. Devin Witherspoon, that Illinois secondary, headlined by him. We've seen Sidney Brown and his ability with Philadelphia. And Quan Martin has come on the last couple weeks with more snaps. We need to see a lot more, though for number 20 in Washington. But Devin Witherspoon, his ability to play in the run game and then cover guys downfield is just, it's outstanding. There's a reason why he was the number one corner taken off the board in this year's draft. Again, top five pick. Forbes was the second corner taken. And then it was Christian Gonzalez right behind him. Then it was Deontay Banks out of Maryland that went to, of course, the Giants in the late 20s. But Devin Witherspoon, the physicality as well that he plays with is unmatched by really not just any corner in the NFL, but defenders as a whole. He wants to blow you off your feet. And not to say that, you know, we see a lot of headhunters in football. Not as many now, of course, with all the rules that prohibit that. But he can also tackle technically as a fundamental textbook tackler when you're teaching guys at eight years old how to tackle. He can do that as well. He's just a fantastic football player. Would I have wished that maybe he slipped to 16? Yeah. Now, that's a whole other conversation because we could say, oh, Christian Gonzalez was there and they took Forbes, whatever, whatever. Look, I like what I saw from Emmanuel Forbes last week. He was flat out excellent against New England. But guarding Demario Douglas, Tyquan Thornton, and Juju Smith-Schuster, you got different beasts this week with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. But guys, I'm excited. These are games you get excited for because it's what's called good bump, good competition. It's how you judge yourself to where you are as a football team. Because right now, Washington is a below average football team, what their record tells me. They could have easily lost that game last week against New England if it weren't for things here and there. But they could very easily win this game against Seattle that has their issues as well. I talked about it in the offensive line. I talked about really their defensive line as a whole. They need more edge rushers. They got holes as well. Geno Smith has been turnover worthy this last month of the season. Washington's added playmakers. It's going to be a hell of a matchup, guys. I'm excited. I'm intrigued to see how Washington shows up. If they go out there and lay an egg, we got... We're going to have to ask questions again. 
And I don't want to get back to that same back and forth. But now in year four of Ron Rivera, that's what we've expected from this group. However, to get to five and five, to then come back home, friendly confines of FedEx Field, with Dallas coming up on Thanksgiving, and you have a short bye, and then you play against the Miami Dolphins. That's a tough little stretch there, guys. It's a tough stretch. So the next month of the season, at Seattle, home against the Giants, then you travel to Dallas on Thanksgiving, you have a mini-bye week, and 10 10 days later, excuse me, you host the Miami Dolphins. This next month of the season, specifically the next two games, are huge towards Washington working towards a wild card spot. Because as of right now in the division, it looks like the Eagles are going to run away with things. Now, the NFC East hasn't had a repeat division. I know you guys have heard it for a long time since 04, which is crazy to think. It's almost 20 years, guys, of this division switching winners. It's unbelievable. But they've proven to execute every single week. And there's really no reason to believe right now that the Eagles are going to give up the spot atop of the NFC East. Now it's still the midway point of the season. Still, what, here we are November 10th. We got over a month and a half to go until Washington has their final regular season game home against the Dallas Cowboys. Hopefully a game that means something on January 7th. This is a massive game. I'm really excited for it. Hope you guys are too. So 4 o'clock, 425 to be exact, out in Seattle, 4-5 and five Commanders, 5-3 and three Seattle Seahawks. And Washington has won their last, their, they won two of the last three games against Seattle. And the last time they were out there in 2017, they won 17 to 14. But this is not 2017. Different Washington rosters, different Seattle rosters. And Seattle coming off a game they lost 37 to 3 on the road. They're going to want to get back to winning football. But I think Washington has they have the talent. And I always I always say it, gotta execute this week. Gotta execute every week. When you're playing talented football teams, limit the mistakes, win the turnover margin, win the time of possession, limit penalties, run the football well, and don't ask Sam Howell to play hero ball. Keep Seattle, the run game limited. Don't want to look up at halftime and see 70 yards on the ground for Kenneth Walker and 20 more for Charbonnet. Discipline on the edges and force Geno Smith to beat you with his arm because he will put the ball in precarious situations. So that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, preview, offense, defense, and special teams. Oh, forgot the special teamers for the Seattle Seahawks. I know you guys always love hearing about the damn special teamers. Michael Dixon is their punter. He's one of the best punters in football. He can really flip the field for you. Jason Myers is their kicker. Long snapper Chris Stoll. And then you're going to see, we're going to see who returns punts this week as DJ Dallas has been banged up a little bit. It might be D. Eskridge, guy that they drafted out of Western Michigan back in 2021 on day two, a second round pick that really hasn't worked out for them at all. It's a reason why they drafted Smith and Jigba um, this year in the first round because it just hasn't worked out with Eskridge, a guy that you guys remember when Corey Davis came out of Western Michigan. Again, D. Eskridge was kind of that same type of vibe around him, really exciting player that was excellent, just superior in college. Has not worked out in Seattle, but he returns some punts for them and we'll see, uh, excuse me, he returns kicks for them. We'll see if he also returns punts for them as well this week because Tyler Lockett over his career has also done that as well. So as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. You can find all of my written work at Bleacher Report just a couple days ago. Had an article come out of all 
my grades for every single first round pick from this year's draft. Yes, including a grade for Washington's 16th overall selection, Emmanuel Forbes. You can dive in again. That's on Bleacher Report. More scouting stuff is on the Draft Network. Com. I will talk to you guys on Monday. Again, win, loss, or tie. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your college football slate on Saturday. Obviously headlined by Penn State and Michigan. Up in State College, which should be a hell of a ball game. And that's Sunday, 425 out in Seattle. Washington Commanders, Seattle Seahawks. Again, I'll talk to you guys on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game. I am Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.